invite you to come with me to Matthew chapter 7, the Gospel of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, and chapter 7. Does it seem unusual to you at all that the last two songs we sang were songs really in praise of words, the ancient words, the wonderful words of life? But really that reflects what Christianity is about as a religion of the book, and it certainly reflects the teaching of Jesus himself here in Matthew chapter 7 at the end of his extraordinary sermon because Jesus himself was a preacher and teacher of God's Word. Jesus tells how important the words are, his words. Verse 24 Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, puts them into practice, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So that's one way of responding to the words of God. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, does not put them into practice, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell. In other words, life happened. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell. And great was the fall of it. And it all hinged on the way that person habitually responded to the words of God. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I just, you know, when it comes to Christianity, I just want to try to kind of live by the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't know, when they say that, I, have you read it? <laughs> have you read it all the way through? Have you read it to chapter 7? Because this extraordinary sermon ends with really extraordinary warnings. Beginning really in a way in verse 13. And verses 13 and 14 will be the main verses that we look at this morning. Where Jesus himself tells us there are only ultimately two ways to live. One or the other. But then he warns about false prophets. In other words, as you're trying to figure out and find the true and right way to lead, that leads to life, you better be very careful who you listen to. Because there are all kinds of people who profess to speak for God and the words of God, but they're not really true prophets. They're false prophets. They're wolves dressed up like sheep. Then he warns in verses 21 that there can be people who are involved in religiousness, even involved in religious service, but Jesus will end up saying to them, I never knew you. And so, as I thought about preaching, and if you see the worship folder, you can tell that the message evolved because the title I gave and the passage that I gave on Wednesday isn't the title and isn't the main passage now. Because as I thought about the opportunity to preach at the beginning of a year, it just seemed a time again to focus on the central things, the things that really matter the most when it comes to Christianity. And 
just knowing the congregation, knowing that uh, in, a, in a church our size, there are bound to be people all different places when it comes to their understanding of Christianity and the gospel and the way of salvation. And frankly, just coming on Sunday mornings alone, it would be hard to figure out now which of this is the heart of it, which of it is the core. And so, God willing, I wanted to try to kind of focus on that by focusing on verses 13 and 14 of Jesus' own teaching. This is Jesus himself. Some people, when they think of Christianity, they doubt Paul or they doubt the apostles, but they say, well, Jesus himself. Well, you're wrong to doubt Paul and the apostles, but for this morning, we'll focus on Jesus himself and his own words when he says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad, easy, spacious is the road that leads to destruction, and many, many enter through it. Many are traveling along that road. But small, narrow is the gate, and difficult the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Here's the main idea this morning. Every person in this room today, every person you know, every person you love and care about, in fact, every person, period, is right today either on the highway to heaven, that is, the road that will, the destination of which will be life and glory and perfect and irreversible happiness. Some of us in this room are on that road. Some of your family members and friends and neighbors and co-workers, they are on that road. That's the process that's playing out for them in the way that they are doing their life. But others are on that road, that path, that way of living, that when it has all played out, it will lead, Jesus himself says, to destruction, to total and irreversible ruin. And he warns, few find the first and many find the last. Now I just say that because, you know, we live in a time where people imagine when it comes to religion and spirituality, and just about everything, frankly, these days, that it can all be on your own terms. It can all be just whatever you decide, and you get to self-identify, and you get to self-describe the realities of living. And it's all your choice, and it's all your preference. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus of Nazareth comes with this uncompromising either or and he tells us there are not 50 roads to God there are not 
five roads, there is one road. There is one way, one way of doing life that leads to life, to everlasting life. And in the fullness of what the Bible says in other places, like 1 Corinthians chapter 1.18, where the Apostle Paul talks about those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Ultimately, again, those are the only two choices, the only two possibilities for every one of us in the room. You are either one of those who just the way that you're living your life, you are on the way to perishing and the, the, the falling apart of what you are as a human being is in process. Or you're on the way to being saved. The renewing of what you are. The perfecting towards glory of what you are as a human being is playing out. And it is in process. And so, honestly... One of the philosophers said, an unexamined life is not worth living. And so to go through this world, to go through this life, and never really to ask these fundamental questions, when Jesus himself says, there are only two roads, to really wrestle with, which road am I on? Which destination am I currently, by the way I do life, my day-by-day, step-by-step, way I do life, which destination am I headed for? Endless, glorious, irreversible happiness and glory? That's all summarized when Jesus says life. Or endless, irreversible, total ruin. The first thing I hope you'll do in responding to this message, as you reflect on it once you leave here, is to wrestle with, do I take that either or seriously? Is Jesus right or wrong about that? Is that true or false? If it's true, and it is, then that says something massive about how we should look at life, how we should look at the questions of faith and religion the gospel, and responding to the gospel. When Jesus talks about these two different ways, these two different roads, he's echoing teaching that has filled the Bible, the Old Testament before him. We saw it in the scripture reading. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked. The Bible talks about the broad and easy road, the way of the wicked, the way of the transgressor, that's hard. Peter talks about you've been redeemed through Christ's blood from the empty, futile way of life that's handed down from generation to generation. And so the Bible talks about there's a way of living. There's a way of being a human being. There's a way of processing life Leaving God out, defying God, ignoring God. You may do it passively, you may do it aggressively, but one way or another, you're ignoring God, you're defying God. That way of living is futile. It's empty. There's nothing to it, really. 
And increasingly, our culture seems to be aware of that, seems to be haunted by that reality. You know, you'll try to find a movie or a program, even some of the big stories that are being told that are captivating uh, audiences in the movie theories. Have you noticed, and I've talked with friends, and last time I made the terrible error of mispronouncing um, Han Solo and saying Hans, and uh, you know, you just kind of lose people and you lose all credibility. You could deny the virgin birth these days and you'd be okay, but don't, you know, don't mispronounce a Star Wars character name. But, and I haven't seen the latest one, but what's occurred to me as I watch, you're still clear who the bad guys are and what bad and the dark side is, but less and less clear, and not just in this, it's who are the good guys? Where's the good kingdom, really, that you really, truly want to root for? And it seems like even as we tell our stories, they get bleaker and darker. And the good is disappearing. It's an empty and futile way of life. And the culture just realizes that more and more. And so we hide and escape. We self-medicate and we play, 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 play. Lest our loneliness and our desolation kind of really creeps in on us. And we realize it and we have to face it. That's the empty way of living when people who are made to know God and engage with God and be loved by God and to love God Throw all of that off and throw all that aside. That's one way to live. And it seems like it's got its spasms of pleasure, of sins for a season, but boy, do they keep turning around to bite us and to hurt us, even in this world, even in this life, as we proudly go our own God-defying way. What ruin we bring into ourselves and into our families and into our relationships even in this world. That's what I'm saying. Jesus is saying this process of perishing, it doesn't just happen on judgment day, it's already set in. It's already playing itself out. That's the broad and easy road that leads to destruction. So there's one other possibility. This narrow road, this narrow way. It's called the way of truth in 2 Peter. And the way of righteousness. Living right. Right with God, right with others. Right with your responsibilities and your callings. Right with your identity, your God-created, God-given identity. You live in line with that. In fact, Christianity itself is called the way. A number of times in the book of Acts. Echoing what Jesus himself said, remember? John 14, I am the way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to the Father. There aren't a million different ways. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God and to final bliss and salvation except through me, Jesus said. 
Now, closely related in ancient thinking and in the Bible to this imagery about a way of living is the idea of our walk. So the way is the path. The walk is the step-by-step doing life that we do every day. And so, we're again, bless, uh, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, Jeremiah 6.16, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And so again, there's the contrast in Romans 8 between those who walk According to the flesh, the flesh means human life with God left out. There are some who walk that way. The only other group, again, are those who walk according to the Spirit, according to the Spirit of God. By nature, we as human beings all start off on the wrong road, the way of sin, the broad and easy road of life with God left out. And just again, Jesus himself is telling you this morning, if you remain on that road, if your loved one, if your friend, if your neighbor, if your fellow student remains on that road, it leads only one place, to ruin, to destruction. We need then to change course. We need to repent and realign and redirect. Or as Jesus says here, to enter into that narrow gate that leads to life. That's what the Bible means when you peel away the imagery and the metaphor by conversion. It means repenting of our sin, trusting Christ and his cross alone for our salvation and beginning to follow, to walk after him as Lord. Again, if you peel away the metaphors of walking and way, it's what the Apostle Paul describes in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 16. It's the bookends of his great letter on salvation by grace. He calls it the obedience of faith. It is a life of obedience to God that arises from true and saving faith in God. Right belief in Him that leads to right trust in Him that leads us to follow Him. And such faith comes by hearing, Romans says. Hearing the Word of God, the Gospel. And so we've thought about this before. How does a real salvation, how does a real conversion take place in a person's life? It takes place as the realities that the gospel describe about God and what he is and what he's like and about us and what we are and what we're like and what condition we're in. As those realities of the word of God and the gospel describing our real situation and what God has done about it, that he sent his son to be our savior from our rebellion and sin, and he died on the cross for us as a substitutionary sacrifice to pay a price and a penalty we could never pay. 
and that by entrusting ourselves to that, by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are justified, we are declared right with God. The gospel announces and describes all of that and then invites us to response. And the gospel tells us that Jesus is Lord, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. So, of course, when we really truly turn to Christ as He is, Savior and Lord, it will be, meaning, it will be a matter of surrendering to Him in allegiance and obedience and then beginning to walk a very different way. This is the obedience of faith. Faith alone justifies its true. But in the Bible, faith never remains alone. It always bears fruit in a new way of living. Or in the metaphor we are using, faith always starts walking down a new road. And so, that's what you've got to ask yourself. Is this the way you're living? Is this the way you're walking? This walking in newness of life in allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Commentator Frederick Bruner put it so well on this passage when, it taught, when he thinks about conversion. The call to enter through the narrow gate is the call to conversion, to change, radical change. The call to recognizing Jesus is Lord. Life outside of loyalty to Jesus Christ, which is secular life, is a life full of the alluring wit of moral permissions and of the tempting delights of a seemingly fair and fun life. The wide gate is the gate of whatever pleases you. For as we are repeatedly told... God is unconditional love, and religion is not a matter of rules. Religion's a matter of tastes and individual preferences, and morality is a matter of choices and personal opinions. They're all the same. Everything is relative. So follow your own star and pursue your own dreams, for always lead to God. That's the broad road. It's not true. That's not where it leads. The life of true discipleship, on the other hand, passes day by day through the narrow gate of the decision to recognize Jesus as Lord and so to walk the, the decidedly uneasy road of obeying his commands against impiety, against anger and lust and divorce and oaths and retaliation, hate, ostentation, acquisitiveness and greed, themes of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus warns us that the way of the majority in morals and religion will not often be the way of disciples. Even though the many choose it, it's not the right road. To be a disciple is to be, according to Jesus, in the moral minority. Everybody does it will not be a helpful or reliable guide for the faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And so Paul describes the old way of living in sin and unbelief in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We were dead men walking. You walked that way following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, animated by the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. But in other places, he talks about how a true Christian starts to walk in the new way once they're truly born again. And so Romans 6, 4, Therefore we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Therefore be imitators of God, Ephesians 5, as beloved children, and walk in love. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Galatians 5, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, and as Christians we do, then Paul says, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. In practical terms, walking by the Spirit is really another way of saying walking by the Word of God. And so Psalm 119, verse 1, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 10, and now Israel, what does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve Him, and to keep His commandments, which I am giving you today for your good. We are brought to new birth in the first place, Peter says, through the imperishable, incorruptible, not part of the destruction that's going on among the lost, the imperishable Word of God. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. And we are sustained and nourished and deepened in this new life, in this new way of living, by that same Spirit-empowered Word. Jesus said, the words that I've spoken to you are Spirit, and they are life. Then he said in John 8, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you continue in my word, you'll know the truth. And the truth will emancipate you. The truth will set you free. 1 John 2, Whoever says he abides in him, I'm a Christian, ought to walk in the same way he walked. So, very practical. Walking down the narrow road means I've entered through the narrow gate in a real repentance and faith, and I've trusted Christ alone to be my Savior. But that is not the end. That is just the beginning. Because once you walk through the gate, there's a walk to go on. A new way to walk on. A new way of living. And only the words of Jesus can guide us in that walk and guide us in that way. And so this morning, 
honestly and sincerely, as one of your pastors, I pray that you will really think about which road I'm on. Not, did I have an experience one time and it sort of seemed religious and it sort of seemed spiritual and I went through a gesture of decision and I'm banking everything on that. No, not so much that. Better question to ask in light of Matthew chapter 7 is, which way am I walking? What way am I living? And then, please, make no mistake, there are only two possible destinations. There are only two possible outcomes for every one of us in the room. One, many are on that road, and it is going to ruin them forever. The only other way is the way of faith and repentance and allegiance to Christ, the way that leads to life. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'll help us to kind of cut through what we're sort of familiar with and accustomed to when it comes to our understanding and ideas about spirituality, religion, and we will listen closely to the words of Jesus in this great chapter. Help us to be spiritually honest, and if there are those, as almost certainly are in a group this size, that are still on that wrong road, they might be religious-seeming, but they're not really walking in allegiance and faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that they'll repent and enter into the narrow gate and begin that new life in Christ, to begin to experience his renewal and salvation that will end up in glory and endless happiness. Help every one of us to look to our own souls and then look to the souls of those we care about. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.